Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. The other day I had the opportunity to attend, to attend um, the 94th graduation of the police academy in the city of Wilmington. We have a woman in our, our church um, who actually uh, was graduating from the police academy, so we wanted to go and support her. And it was a very long graduation, many different speakers, um, many different awards that were given out. But one, I remember one moment um, in the graduation that really stands out to me. Um, the, an award was given to a police officer who was already in the police department. Um, it was basically special recognition for their work in the, the last year. And they, um, hearing the, the list of um, things that this officer had done in the last year amazed me. Multiple arrests, um, re recovering drugs, uh, recovering weapons, uh, many foot chases. All of this was, he, he had only been in the apartment for a year and a half. And the list just kept going on and on. And I, I, I didn't hear the year and a half part till towards the end. I thought maybe this guy had been in the police force for a lifetime. But in a year and a half, he had done all of these things. And I was thinking to myself, I, I hope this guy is patrolling my neighborhood because I don't have anything to worry about if that's the case. Um, but what was most impressive about this was when he actually came forward to receive the award and to give a speech. Because he told the story, the background of how he came into the police force. Um, it was actually several years prior to the academy that he graduated with um, that he uh, applied and went through the academy only to find out that he did not pass. But he was not, he was not deterred because he was determined to be a police officer, so he applied again, I think it was maybe the next year, same thing happened. Now by this point, as you can imagine, he was disillusioned, but it actually gets worse because he came back. He applied only to suffer an injury early on in the police academy the third time that prevented him um, from being accepted yet again. At this point, he, he reached a, a, a low point. He didn't know what to do anymore. He lost track of his goal. He, he, um, you know, he was just at a place in his life where he was confused and disillusioned. Yet he, he told the story of how a, a good friend of his um, encouraged him, entered into his life and his story, and reminded him of his ultimate goal to be a police officer. So he applied again. 
He went through the 22 weeks of rigorous training once again, and this time he passed. And what was amazing um, was to hear him talk about, to looking back in hindsight on that whole process. Because what he said is that he realizes that he would not be the police officer that he is today. In fact, he would not be the person that he is today had it not been for that, that journey, had it not been for the difficulties and hardship that he experienced. In a similar way, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in the passage that was read for us in Philippians 3. He is saying that the Christian life is a journey. It's a journey. There's no way around it. And for many of us, that is hard to hear. We live in a culture where we pursue quick fixes. We want instantaneous gratification. And to hear that something is a journey, that it can't happen automatically, right away, is hard for us to deal with. And for a lot of us, where we find ourselves in our lives right now, that, we're having a hard time dealing with that. We're dealing with issues, with sin patterns, struggles that we continue to wrestle with, and we just wish that God would take it all away and that he would instantaneously make us perfect and complete. Yet as we heard in this passage, it's not the way that it works. But Paul seems to find joy in all of this. He seems to find joy in the journey. For him, the journey is not insignificant. The journey is a big deal. In light of the reality that the Christian life is a journey, here's the question that we're going to consider this morning. How do we find joy in the journey? How do we find joy in the journey? So that's what we're going we're to think about together. Well, the, the first thing that we see here is that Paul is able to admit that he has not yet arrived. That, that might seem very basic and elementary, but... It's a big deal because essential to finding joy in the journey is being able to admit that we don't have it all together. In, in our passage, at the beginning of verse 12, Paul starts with, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And then again in verse, the beginning of verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So for Paul, there's this recognition that he has not yet arrived. He does not have it all together. He is still a work in progress. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages me because we're talking about the Apostle Paul here. We're talking about a man who planted churches, who pastored people, who was a, was a spiritual giant as far as we're concerned. Yet here he is with great transparency and vulnerability, being honest about the fact that he has not yet arrived. He is still incomplete. It takes humility to do this, doesn't it? To, to really do this. Because it, it's somewhat popular for us to embrace the fact that we are broken, that we don't have it all together. That's easy to talk about in a general kind of way, isn't it? I, I know that I, I have a habit of doing that as a pastor. I, I think to myself... Okay, what really, you know, people need to be able to relate to me and where we're coming from as a church, and they know they're broken, so it's important for us to talk about that brokenness, to be honest about that. 
But it's easy to do that in a general kind of way. But are we really owning our brokenness? Are we really recognizing and admitting that we are incomplete? And are we okay with that? That, that, that? There's a big difference there. Are we okay with it? Not that we remain there. Because I'm, gonna, I'm purposely trying to create some tension here early on in the sermon. And the second point will kind of alleviate some of that tension. But for now, are we okay with that? Are we okay with being incomplete? Because it's one thing for me to say, I'm broken. I don't have it all together. But then what about in my life in, in, on a daily basis? Am I really okay with it? Well, if I'm okay with it, why am I trying to compensate for it? Why am I trying to cover it up? Why am I trying to keep it from people? I'm okay with them knowing about it in a general kind of way, but when it comes to specifics, why am I all about cover-up? If that's the case, I'm not really embracing the fact that I am incomplete. I am not okay with it. It takes great humility to do this. And Paul, in talking about this in the passage, is actually putting this humility on display. And as he's doing it, he's contrasting himself with some of these false teachers in the city of Philippi. And you actually heard this last week from Jeff as he was talking about the beginning part of chapter 3. False teachers were basically communicating that you could find acceptance with God based on performance, pretty much. And that you know, there was a point in life where you could pretty much arrive based on your ability to perform, to do good things, to essentially to be religious. And Paul here in this section is continuing to go after that. He's contrasting himself and true Christianity with that. And he's saying, no, it, it, really a, a humble person is one who is able to admit, to recognize, to embrace, I haven't obtained it yet, I haven't arrived. I am in process. And that's true for all of us, each and every one of us, really regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, including if you have not even entered into the Christian faith yet as one who follows Jesus, we are all in process. We are all incomplete. It's important for us to recognize that. And I've been, I've been coming face to face with this over the last several months. You know, as I think about it, I I thought that I knew what I was getting into in starting a new church. I I felt like, uh, you know, even before entering into it, I had coaches and various church planners who kind of, you know, um, told me what to expect and what I was going to deal with. But it's complete, as you know, in many different experiences in life, it's one thing to prepare for it, to hear about it, to try to expect it. But when you enter in and begin dealing with it, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. And I've been coming face to face with all of my issues. It's bringing out all of those issues, all of my weaknesses and inadequacies. How are your issues being exposed right now in your life? What are those areas in your life where you're really struggling and, and you feel like, God, why do you keep bringing this in front of my face? Not in a condemning way. But why do you keep bringing this up? I I, I thought that I had made progress, but here it is again. I'm struggling. What are those things for you? What are those areas of your life? But how do we find joy in this? That's the lingering question, right? Because it, it sounds like, at least up to this point, that we can own all of that stuff 
and just kind of be stuck with it, maybe even be left in despair. So how do we find joy in admitting that we haven't yet arrived? Well, we find joy in doing this, in coming to this recognition that we don't yet have it all together because it helps us to avoid a false sense of ourselves. Because, you know, I mean, just think about it in your own life, and I think about it in my own. As we cover up our weaknesses, our inadequacies, all of those issues, as we try to pretend like they're not theirs, we try to ignore them or whatever it might be, I don't know about you, but it's not very freeing for me. It's actually, every time I do that, I find myself entering into slavery in my life. I find myself getting frustrated. I find myself um, entering into despair that way. There's really nothing redemptive or whole about that. But for Paul, I I think he finds joy in being able to, to talk freely about the fact that he hasn't yet arrived because it's real. In doing that, you're actually coming... To grips, you're entering into d- deeper and deeper reality. Because when we pretend like it's not there, we're living in a false fairy tale world, really. But Paul here, in, in, encourage, in demonstrating for us how to do this, in, in, in owning up to the fact that we have not yet arrived, there's this freedom to be found. And following that freedom, there's a joy in being able to I- admit this. So it roots us in a realistic view of ourselves. In fact, Paul, in verse 16, says that, really, that this is one of the marks of maturity in the life of a Christian. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. There's a sense of, really, even sarcasm and irony here. Because remember, Paul all through this section, he's contrasting himself because actually after that verse, he goes on um, to call the Philippian church to imitate him. Now, that might strike us as odd and even arrogant, but think about what he's calling them to imitate him in. One of those things is owning up to the fact that, you know, we are still incomplete, that we don't have it all together. But Paul is contrasting himself with these false leaders, these false teachers in in the city uh, of Philippi. And he's saying that basically, you know, as far as they're concerned, maturity is pretending like you are mature, like you have it all together. But Paul here is saying, no, actually, the sign of maturity is admitting that you're immature. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, how do we know when we're moving towards maturity in the Christian life? Well, one of the things that marks that is we're willing to admit that we're, we're really immature, that we're a work in progress that Jesus is continuing to, to work in us. So admit that we haven't arrived. That, that's the first thing, I think, in this passage of finding joy in the journey, to be able to admit that we, we do not yet have it all together. All right, so hopefully, maybe you, you haven't seen it yet, but I've created a little bit of tension because where does that leave us? That moves us into the, the, the second point, and it's actually the final point. Paul here, he does not remain with just acknowledging that about himself. He presses into Christ. Because once we own up to our incompleteness, what do we do with it? That's, that's the question, isn't it? What do we do with that? 
We, we know that it's true. We, we live with ourselves. We know it's there. So what do we do once we own up to that and admit it? Well, you know, there are various options that we, we employ. You know, one could be to run away from it, right, and to just do our own thing. You know, we come face-to-face with it, and we don't like it. We don't like what we see. We don't really know what to do with it, so we just run away. We kind of live life on our own terms, avoiding God and living as though the world evolved around us. And, And there could be different forms of that. We could just distract ourselves with other things. We could just kind of remain um, indifferent towards it. But regardless of how it plays out, really that approach is running away and not dealing with it. Another approach could be dealing with it, but in a very unhealthy way. Basically, it's this approach that says, you know what? Here it is. It's true of me that I have not yet arrived. There's this brokenness here, but I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this right about me. I am going to complete myself. And that's really what the false teachers in the city of Philippi were communicating. Because maybe you see it already, but this is where religion can actually be very dangerous. Because religion fits really nicely into this category. Because religion, uh, you know, contrasting religion with the true gospel Religion is approaching God in such a way that we say, okay, God, I'm going to perform. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. We, we kind of heard that a little bit in the testimony. Um, probably all of us can relate to this. I'm going to do this stuff, God, and you will then accept me. And I will find my joy in knowing that I have found acceptance because of my performance. only problem is what? We, we actually never find joy. Because we, we never have security in that. How do we know when we've actually pleased God enough? And always in the back of our mind, it's always lingering, that we, we know for, for a fact that there's, there, issues are still there. And, and what we do is we, we, we focus on one issue and try to make ourselves right there, um, trying to compensate or cover up other issues because we think, okay, I'll make a big deal about how I've grown in this area, how I've done this and that. And hopefully people won't ask me about what's going on over here. And, you know, in fact, I'll just make myself forget about it. Paul warns against both of these uh, approaches here in the passage. You know, he's obviously, as we've seen, he's contrasting true Christianity with the the religious approach of these false teachers. But he's also um, warning us against the danger of simply running away. And how do we see that? Well, there's this constant you know, him talking about himself, he constantly keeps coming back to, I don't remain there. I don't stay there, stagnant in my brokenness. I continue to move towards Christ. I run towards him. I press into him with great desperation. So this is a a good and helpful reminder to us to not rest in our abilities To not rest in our rightness, but to rest solely and completely in Christ, in His rightness, and His ability to transform us. So coming back to that question, you know, what are the issues for you? Let's think about it a, a little differently now. Because as we face these issues in our lives, as we face struggles, 
We resist these things because they're hard. You know, suffering is no fun. Um, and, and what suffering does is exposes our heart. It exposes some of these um, mechanisms that are there in which we try to make ourselves right. Um, but what are, what are some of these areas in your life right now that you, or some of these struggles that you're resisting? That you, you find yourself thinking, oh, I just wish this would go away. And then life would be back to normal. Then, then I could be happy again. I, I found myself doing this a lot recently, um, really for several months, but particularly over the last few weeks. We came back from um, a, a vacation, and I, I felt I, I found a lot of refreshment in that vacation. So I, I came back kind of ready to go, to launch back into ministry, um, to pursue Christ personally. And we, we, um, we, we come home, and somehow we have a flea infestation in our home. We don't even have any pets. So it, it seems like just such a random thing. Um, you know, so we have that going on, trying to deal with that. Um, my, my car, I have a, a, an issue arises with my car. I have to have that towed into the shop. Um, shortly after that, our dryer breaks. Um, my, my mom is battling cancer, and she actually suffered a, um, a brain seizure. All of this stuff in the course of one week. And I, and I start doing the self-pity thing. God, why? Why me? You know, my neighbor down the street has multiple pets. Why, why, why can't they have the fleas? I'll handle the other stuff, but at least take the fleas away. Why? You just seem to be piling it on. Why? And, and I also, you know, found myself thinking, just I want it to all go away so that life can get back to stability and some level of, of being normal again. Now, of course, there's really no such thing as that, but those are the things that we think during those times. But what I'm realizing and discovering in fresh ways recently is that through all of this, I am dramatically being changed. I am being made to feel desperate in a way that I never have before. And there's absolutely been nowhere for me to turn except to Christ. And I don't like it, I still resist it, and I still want some of these things to just disappear and go away. But I'm starting to find at least some joy in God's work in my life. I'm starting to be able to be thankful for some of the hard things because of the ways that I can see myself being transformed and being changed. But do you see that? I, that, that God is... is placing those things in my life because I can't get to the place of transformation without these things. It's what God uses. So what are those things in your life right now that you're resisting, that you want to just disappear and go away? Can you actually find joy in where God has you? Because you are in the midst of a journey. And God, through Jesus, is changing you. And that change cannot take place without the hard things. Can we find joy in that? But again, applying the, the, the question to this, this point of pressing into Christ, still, how do we find joy in that? Uh, again, it's related to the issue uh, of freedom. You know, in my own personal story recently, I, I've been entering into more and more freedom in my life because because of all of these things and the desperation that I've been feeling, I have found myself 
being forced to depend on Christ and, and nothing else. To, to come to grips with the fact, you know what? I can't make life work apart from Jesus. It's not going well for me. I'm trying to fix all of these things and I can't keep up. It's just one thing after the next. And, and, and I'm, finding, I'm actually finding freedom in being able to, to say that. You know what? I can't do life on my own. And now even in smaller areas of my life where I thought I didn't need a lot of help, I find myself pressing into Christ and running to him and finding freedom, being able to recognize, you know what? This is actually freeing. I don't have to try to do all of this stuff and live on my own and try to do life without help. But I can constantly come to Christ press into him and as that is happening i'm finding greater joy even though there's still a lot of hardship and difficulty why is that well it's because we have a perfect savior we have not yet arrived we are still incomplete and imperfect but paul here is directing his attention and ours to a perfect savior after you know verses 18 through 19, again he's um, referring back to these false teachers and, and saying that they they have an earthly orientation in that their their basis for their living is themselves, and their end result is going to be destruction. But then he moves in in verse 20, talking about how our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, he's giving us a whole new orientation for living our lives. That as we look around at the things that enter into our lives and we try to process them, we're not left to ourselves to try to interpret it all and to make sense of it. Paul is saying that our citizenship is ultimately somewhere else. And it is in heaven. And there in heaven we have a Savior that we are awaiting that will one day return to set everything right again it's a different orientation and it's one that infuses hope into our lives because again what paul is saying is it's not up to you it's not up to you you do not have the responsibility to fix your life and to fix the brokenness around you we have a savior in heaven who is doing that he's in the process of doing that and one day will return to transform all of it including yourself. Paul is calling us to live in Christ's perfection today. So we are able to admit, yes, I am imperfect, but I have a Savior who is perfect, and His perfection covers me. And He is transforming me. He will finish the deal. So don't despise the hard things in your life. Don't miss these opportunities to grow. We, um, some of you could probably relate to this. Uh, our, our girls, it's always a really hard thing when they get splinters on the rare occasions that they do. Um, and it's especially difficult for um, our five-year-old Kylie. She just very, tends to be very fearful. And, um, and it's always hard when, when she gets splinters because, you know, we, we, we basically have to hold her down. Um, to go through this really difficult process of trying to get the splinter out of her finger or, or wherever it might be. And what she does is she, she presses into us quite literally, you know, essentially just shoving her head into us 
um, you know, because she's just looking for a, a place to find affirmation and encouragement, to know that this is really painful, but it's going to be okay. And she's flailing around, and, you know, we're trying to have to keep her still. And it's, it's a hard thing as a parent. It's hard to tell her in the moment, this is for your good. Um, this is for your transformation, so to speak, because you need this splinter taken out of you. It's the same way with us. You know, our, our, our splinters are more painful. They're, they're internal. But God is doing the same thing. He, he is strapping us down. He's holding us in place. We're, we're trying to flail around. We're trying to, to, to get out of the situation, to break away from these hard things. And he's doing whatever it takes to hold us in place. He's strapping us, tying us, tying us down so that we can't get out. And in the moment, it, it seems so mean. We wonder, God, why are you doing this? What are you doing? But his purposes are good because he's removing the splinters. He's in the process of transforming us. But he has to keep us there in those hard places in order to do it so that we might feel desperate and feel our need to press into Christ and to look to him for transformation and to him alone. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would work in our lives, in the, the difficult things that you allow to enter into our lives, those things that we resist, whether they be things that we might categorize as small or, or things that are, are bigger. We pray that you would use them. And, and we pray that we would be a people who are willing to own up to the fact that we are incomplete. And, and I pray that people would be able to come into Liberty Church and City Church of Wilmington, people who are investigating who Jesus is, I, I pray that they would find it refreshing that we're able to be honest and upfront about the fact that we do not have it all together. But I pray that we would not stay there, that we would press into Christ, that we would look to Him ultimately for our perfection and our transformation. And we long for that day when Christ will return and we will finally be perfected and transformed in completeness. We pray that we would look forward to that day and in the meantime, help us again to press into Jesus, to look to him. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.